All right, Trinity Church, how are you doing today? Good, you made it out in the Portland-esque weather. Good job. Thank you for being willing to come to church when it's not just 75 and sunny. Way to go. You are troopers. You know, in Southern California, that's saying a lot. Uh, my name's Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity. It's a privilege to get to be with you today. Um, the worship team, by the way, we're going to actually finish the service with some great songs to be able to kind of rally around this great topic today. We're talking about what the redeemed are going to be doing for eternity. So a great way to get to finish. So they'll be back. If you're like, Todd's up there really early today, no worries. There'll be some good back-end time in our service to be able to focus on the great thing of being with Jesus. Well, a couple of things. We're continuing in our series called After This Life. And to help you today, if you have a Bible, if you want to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 was the main passage we were in on Easter Sunday. And it's kind of where we go back to today related to this idea of the resurrection and what we can expect. 1 Corinthians, if you're having a trouble finding it, it's in the New Testament. Great help comes just before 2 Corinthians. You are welcome. All right. Find your way there. We'll be there in a second. In your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these. If you want to get those out and have those ready to go, that'll just help you track with us uh, throughout our time together this morning. Well, today, like I said, we're going to be talking about what are the redeemed going to be doing throughout history. But as we do that today, I want to share one of the things that we will not be doing throughout eternity, and that is meeting at our same service times. We have been working on some transitions actually for nine months it was back in August that we started talking as a pastoral staff and ministry director team. More recently, our strategic planning, we had a whole task force just around this idea of helping us think through what are the ways that we should best accomplish what we're trying to do at Sunday morning or, or weekend worship services in general. And the two big factors I want you to hear that have been driving that conversation literally all the way through have been a significant inequity of based on our service times and, and who attends when. Our eight o'clock service typically averages about 130 people. This averages over 500 people almost every Sunday. So the challenge is, uh, and, and what people who work with churches will say, if you have a service that is 80% full or over, after even just a consistent amount of time, a month or two, you need to do something different. This service has been over 80% capacity before I got here two and a half years ago. So that's one significant reason why we need to mix things up. But another one is we're just been, been very concerned all the way through that there are people in your relational world who can't or won't come to church on a Sunday morning. And right now at Trinity, it's really a one size fits all. That is the only time you can ever attend a worship service at Trinity is some time on Sunday morning. So because of that, we need to make some changes. So here's what we're going to be doing. Coming up in a couple weeks on June the 9th is the first time these changes will come into motion. We're going to be changing to 9 and 10.45 in the morning. 9 and 10.45 will be our two morning services. We're going to do that throughout the summer. And then in August, August 18th, we're going to add a 5.30 service in the evening and on Sunday. And the reason we're taking the summer to do that is we really want to build a team of both people, attenders, who kind of trailblaze that for us. I think when people begin to do the math, I don't have to get up early to go to church. That will be a win. 
and that will be awesome. So 5.30, as well as people who can begin serving at those services, especially with our children's ministries. So it's gonna give us the summer to build towards that, but beginning June, or yeah, June the 9th, Sunday morning at 9, Sunday morning at 10.45, and then later on in August, we will have those two as well as add a 5.30 service in the evening. Now I get this, change is hard. And change is hard, especially on this front, because uh, if you didn't know this, Trinity Church has had these same service times for over 18 years. So we have taken a method and made it a monument. And that's okay, no one's critical of that, but it is time to change. And I know that will be harder for some of us than others, and it'll be okay. Like we'll get there, but it, the, the reasons behind it, I really think are about fulfilling what God has us here for. And we're really excited for that. So over the course of the next three weeks, people that you know that go to Trinity and maybe haven't been here for a while, that would be a great thing to begin to help us share that news far and wide. It'll be really challenging when you come to a nine o'clock service at 9.30 right? And you're like, what, what is going on here? So help us share that. Also, we'd love for you to begin considering which of those two morning services you'll attend. And even we'll try to get some data from that so we can make sure that we're trying to balance those as best we can. All right. So the information I wanted to share with you at the front end. Today, like I said, we're continuing in our series called After This Life. The reason that we chose to do a series on heaven and hell is that we just believe there's a lot of misinformation and misbelief out there in every part of our culture, as well as in the church, about what God says eternity will be like. So that's been kind of the driving force. We began Easter Sunday and been walking out different themes and ideas. I have to tell you, I'm very excited about today. I've told people this is probably, knowing what our series was going to be about, this is the message I wanted to share most within this series. And that's the idea of what will we be doing forever? I think that's a real challenge because a lot of times we've just kind of bought into somewhere at some point, the culture began to say it was white gowns with wings, with harps on puffy clouds. There's nothing about that in the Bible. And the great news is it's way better, okay? And like we said, the other version sounds a lot more like hell to most of us. So this is something that I really wanna draw you to. I want you to see the great news of what God's word has to share with us with the goal. Remember all the way along, this series was never about just getting more interesting information. It's been about how can we be motivated to live a life that is going to be valued, that is going to be rewarded, that is going to be forever with Jesus. That's what this has been about. So that's my hope today is to bring motivation to you. Remember what we said last week, by the way, that we're going to devote Sunday, June the 2nd to answering questions that you have about heaven and hell. If there are things in this series we have not covered, which we readily admit there are, that would be a great time for you to let us know in the next couple of weeks so we can frame that whole service around the questions that you have. So please send those in via Instagram, Facebook, or through our email. Uh, address there. That is also in your Trinity this week in case you're wondering, how am I going to remember all that? You can reference that later. Well, every week we have a now what statement. Look in your notes or on the screens. Because you'll be with Jesus and live out your eternal design, eagerly anticipate heaven. That's what today is about. Let's eagerly anticipate what's to come. Number one in your notes, don't be sentimental because your skin and bones is a rental. Love it. I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Switchfoot Line, one of my favorite bands. It needed to happen today, okay? 
Don't be sentimental because your skin and bones is a rental. Philippians chapter one. I know your Bibles are open to 1 Corinthians 15. Stay there, but look at the screens and let me read this passage as we begin. Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, what, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul is talking to the Philippian believers while he's in a Roman jail. And he's struggling with this tension of, I know it's better to be here for your sake, but for my sake, I wanna be with Jesus and I wanna be there sooner than later. And that's the tension. And what I wanna to do today is we start to clarify terms. One idea that's really important to this whole concept of what happens after you die, I wanna introduce you to a term today you won't find in scripture, but a term that theologians believe this is part of that reality is called the intermediate state. And let me share with you a little bit more. This passage illustrates what I'm talking about when Paul writes that as a follower of Jesus, when he dies, he doesn't expect to go to heaven. He expects to be with Jesus. And we would think, well, Todd, those are one and the same. Well, let me show you a little bit today why I think those are actually, in a sense, two different things. Um, we wanna use terms that scripture gives us to be able to understand sequences. To me, it's not vitally important that you and I remember each and every step that we think Bible, the Bible teaches should happen, but it's good to know, how do I understand this related to what happens when I die? And maybe even being thoughtful about what happens to the people that you love when they pass. As followers of Jesus, where will they be? Because a big thing we talked about last week is that the dead are going to be raised. We read this in Revelation chapter uh, 20. The dead are going to be raised and they're going to be raised to judgment. They'll be raised and they'll have bodies. And in that case, these dead spirits that after we die, we'll talk about where, these, where your being goes, but they'll be raised to, to a body to be judged about eternity. And we read that last week in Revelation 20. So when we think about that today, this idea is that those who are, whose names are in the Lamb's book of life, whose names are there not because of things they've done, but simply what Jesus has done for them, they'll be raised to new resurrection bodies that we'll talk about today, and they'll spend eternity with God in the new heaven and the new earth. But I wanna to say today, this intermediate state after we die and before heaven, it doesn't suggest that it's a lesser reality that will not still be amazing. Realize what Paul is saying. He is highly anticipating, I cannot wait to get to be with Jesus. We shall see him as he is, and it will eclipse anything, anything we've ever known on this planet. Secondly, what this does not mean is it doesn't mean that this is something that we might know as purgatory. This is not introduced in this idea when we say this intermediate state. And the simple reality is, is that many understand purgatory to be this something after you die state where you're taught and disciplined to be right with God. There's no hint of this here. Paul simply says that when I die, I'm gonna be with Jesus. And there's nothing to be caught in the middle between that. But another key reality is, is that this intermediate state is not something only for Jesus's people because we know that those who do not respond to the gospel, they will equally be in an intermediate state that is not yet hell, though it will be far worse in any degree of difficulty than anything they've experienced here. In your notes, would you write down this book and chapter? Write down Luke 16. 
Luke 16 is the story that many of us know of Lazarus and the rich man. This is not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead, but another gentleman in this story named Lazarus. Here's a couple important things about it. Number one, Jesus never introduces this as a parable. Parables, we're gonna actually look at. I'm really excited for our summer teaching series. We're gonna look at various parables throughout the course of June and July. And as we do that, we're gonna see that parables are the way that God, Jesus communicated. I'm gonna take an idea from the kingdom of heaven, but I'm gonna use terms that you can understand. And he usually set it off that way. Here's a parable about, or Jesus spoke to them in parables. When you read Luke 16, you read nothing of that. There was a rich man and there was Lazarus is the way that Jesus begins to tell it. So we wouldn't understand necessarily that Jesus means to be speaking in a parable term when he shares this. What we realize from that story is that this rich man ends up in a place called Hades. That is the intermediate state for people who are not in Christ. And it's a place of torment and agony. So this is definitely no just kind of holding tank of somewhere to be. We also realize in that story that this rich man had a keen awareness of what was going on with Lazarus. He could look and see this other side, but that there was a great fixed chasm between the two. So this intermediate state has this place. It's basically the precursor both to eternity with Jesus in heaven and the precursor to eternity without him in hell. But the reality is, is that's really the most biblically accurate idea of what happens to someone when they die. Look at this phrase, it's in your notes. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? That's a phrase that many of us know. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's probably the best way to understand this idea of what happens to a follower of Jesus when they die. In that moment, they're with him. <clears throat> but at, this, at the appointed time, there will be a resurrection of the dead. Those whose names are not written in Jesus's book of life will be raised to judgment and condemned to an eternity apart from God. But for those whose names are found in the book of life, a resurrection involving a new body that is fit for eternity. In the passage that we looked at back in Easter, there's so much about the resurrection. We just kind of began that conversation that day. We're back at it today. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead? <clears throat> the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first with the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the depths of the earth, the second man is of heaven. And, as, and was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit, or the perishable inherit the imperishable. So here's what we're reading about. The Corinthian believers apparently had a lot of questions about what happens after they die. And Paul is going to explain. I want you to see this. Throughout the course of the, of the Bible, meaning as the Bible was being received and written 
from Genesis to Revelation, you have this growing revelation of understanding of what is going to happen in eternity. When you read the former covenant, the Old Testament, the first 39 books of the Bible, there is very little of any detail about what happens when you die. At best, there would be a general understanding that those who were followers of Yahweh would be with him. And that's about it. There's very little information about what eternity would be like. Then Jesus in the gospels, he begins to share with things about eternity that were just blowing people's minds because they're like, we've never heard anything like this before. And it was incredibly encouraging and challenging all at once. Well, then you have the the epistles and you have Paul and others that are writing. We'll read today from Peter. And they're sharing so much more information all the way until the book of Revelation, which is almost entirely about what is going to happen for eternity. So you just see this incredible scale and it just speeds up all throughout the New Testament of things that we are told eternity will be like. And so the Corinthian believers had questions that we benefit from these answers today. So note a couple things. Note that the essence of who you are will continue to exist beyond this life for those who put their faith in Jesus, a new body. A new body will be provided that is consistent with eternity, built with what is imperishable. It'd be like this. It'd be like if there was a group of scuba divers that said to you, hey, would you like to go out with us? And you say, sure. And they invite you to go on a dive. They're gonna go 200 feet deep into the water and it's gonna take them about two hours to do that. And in doing so, you show up that day to the beach and you've got your mask and your snorkel. Okay, and you're like, let's go. And they just look at you like the idiot that you are and they go, that ain't gonna work. Okay, you are ill-fit, you are ill-equipped for such a journey. The same thing is true of your body. And I don't think I'm telling you something new. The older we get, the more our bodies are breaking down. The more we're realizing this thing ain't gonna make it much longer. No way is it gonna make it into eternity. Here's an interesting thing I was processing a little bit this week. For those of you who have had health challenges and even health scares of maybe things that could be even like a terminal disease, here's the interesting thing that you realized in that process. You realize that you are not this. You realize that this was actually working against you. It was maybe one of the first times that you had clarity of what God says that when he built human beings, he built them way beyond what is physical flesh and bones to truly having a soul, a spirit. And so this idea, you began to do the math and realize my body is going one direction, but my self is going somewhere else. And you realize maybe for the first time, this is not the essence of who I am. Yes, it might be what people see first when they see me, but it is surely not the sum total of who I am. That is something different. And that is what is going to be separated from your body at death. We all kind of get that and understand that. And today we're talking about twofold, what happens immediately after I die, but then what kind of resurrection body will I have throughout eternity? The Bible says some things about that. Look at the passage we just read. We'll give up these original from the dust bodies in exchange for ones that are of heaven. And though we're called to roles of stewardship over the created order now and over the bodies in which we live, we are to take good care of what God has given us in this lifetime. This communicates something powerful to those who live as though this body was going to make it into the next. It's not. It's, built for, it's not built for such. And though we want to steward well what we have while we have it, we need to come to, fact, come to the terms that it's a rental. 
It's something we're using now, but throughout eternity, we'll have the real thing. We'll exchange it for that. And our goal today is to do this, is for me to keep showing you from scripture, I want you and I to lean forward with great anticipation of what God has in store for us, because it's so much better than the caricature that you and I have tended to believe is probably true. Number two in your notes today, let's see what we can anticipate. Just like we'll have new bodies, so there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Just like we will have new bodies, so there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Second Peter chapter three, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, listen to this, what kind of people ought you to be? Since you recognize the end is coming, how should this motivate you? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, what? We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And look at this last phrase, where righteousness dwells. That's where our hope is. And remember, biblically, the word hope is not like, I hope it's not gonna rain today. That didn't go well for you, okay? It is a hope that is grounded in confidence. Our hope, and that's what we just read. This passage states the reality clearly that God will destroy everything we understand as the heavens and think of the heavens as far as like the skies, the firmament, when we go back to Genesis and read the creation account, as well as the earth that will reveal ultimately a new heaven and a new earth. It's the difference between redeeming something, what God is doing with our souls and reinventing something like he's going to do with our bodies. We won't get a reformed version of this. We'll get an altogether better version. One of the things, by the way, about that, even if you try to imagine what will this new body look like, remember that Jesus had a resurrected body. When people saw him after he had risen from the tomb, he had a body they could touch. He had a body that they could see, they could interact with, talk with, a body that ate. These were all functions that we read at the end of the gospels of how Jesus lived among us for those 40 days before he ascended. That might be a really good picture in our minds to go, huh? Because a lot of us have dreamed up this idea of this almost like Casper the ghost kind of existence, these wispy things. And I think scripture teaches again that and says, no, there will be something built for eternity, but something indeed that has an essence to it, not just some kind of ethereal wispiness. Let's look at this other thing. What I want you to see today, another key part of the idea of God, God's people being invited into his presence is that it's not among the clouds, but it's on the new earth. Let me remind you of what we read last week, Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And as I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's a great line. That's probably one of my favorite lines in all of scripture. 
that God is gonna make all things new. And so as we read that, we notice that the first heaven and the first earth are not going to be reformed. They're gonna pass away. They're gonna be done with. And then a description of what one of the cities, in this case, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, what it will be like. And then God's rising announcement, I am making everything new. I want you to see today, these are words of recreation and reinvention, not of reforming or improving upon what we know. Also, I want you to note that this environment, as it's described, is not, like we've said, sitting up in the clouds with robes and harps, but it's living on a new earth that has cities that people will inhabit. I want you to see this in your notes. I don't want to get too technical, but look in your notes. It's not that anyone is really going to heaven, but that we are going to live on the new earth. I want you to see that a little bit today because again, I think that helps. That's why you've developed this wispy sitting on clouds mentality is that we think that our future is up in the skies. But when you read this, you realize it's actually on a new earth. That's what we will be living on throughout eternity. Now, if you say to me sometime, Todd, I can't wait to go to heaven. I'm not gonna correct you and go, by the way, it's actually the new earth you're real excited about. I know what you mean and I will say the same thing. But just to understand, because one of the things I really wanna push against today is that wispiness that we've kind of come to believe heaven is about, see the physicality of it. See that what God created originally, he's creating a new version of, but there are understandings that we have of what it will be like and that we will be outfitted with eternal bodies for an eternal reality on the new earth. Here are some of the other descriptors as you continue to read through Revelation 21 and 22. That the new Jerusalem will be a city with gates and walls. That it will be ornamented with beauty. There will be no temple in this city because God will be present. Back in the former covenant, the tabernacle was such a, a powerful icon to the people of Israel because God became present among his people. That would translate into the temple later on under King Solomon. God took inhabitation there among them. There's no need for a temple because God will be there. No need for a sun nor moon because the radiance of God will provide light. The nations, watch this, nations will be present. You read that later on in Revelation 21, but not in a manner that is in opposition, but in a beautiful variety of people living in heavenly unity. I think of all the things I'm sharing today of what would be hard for you to imagine, that's probably the biggest. Are you kidding me? We're gonna live with multiple nations in this new heaven, new earth, and we're gonna get along. You know the discord we have just in our country. Can you imagine the nations aligning together under the headship of God and in beautiful variety? This is one of the things I love that you know must be a part of the character of God is his love for variety. Not only variety of people, not only variety of animals, variety of plants, but just look at all the environments in which we live. God is this artistic, beautiful God who creates with a degree, a, a joy of variety. <clears throat> so if you've assumed that everyone in heaven, and by the way, when we think about heaven and what people will be like, obviously your assumption is they'll all be like me. I have great news for you and great news for the people who are sitting next to you. They're not all gonna be like you. There's gonna be great variety and the nations will be collectively present and they will collectively love God and love each other 
and there will not be unit or discord, there will not be a lack of unity that will all be there. That is hard for us to imagine, but I believe biblically so accurate. People will be provided with the water of life and will eat from the tree of life that are found in that holy city in Revelation 22, we read that. And the great news is that we'll see God face to face. These are some of the factors that we seem to be continually confused by, but I want you to know they're available to you, available to me in the word of God. Now, I want you to know this today. If you're here and you would say, Todd, you're wanting to encourage people. This sounds like a ginormous fairy tale. Just all kinds of crazy. Of all these things that you would tell me that this eternity is going to be like with all this detail, that just sounds not only too fantastic, but also just all kinds of weird. And I wanna say, if you're here today and you would struggle in general with the truthfulness of the Bible and thinking that maybe it is full of just a lot of myths, I really understand how you would feel that way about what I just read. But I want you to hear this. I really believe like we see in the epistles and we see in this book of Revelation that God intended for his people to have an understanding, a hope of heaven to motivate us and keep us moving forward when the challenges of life become so overwhelming, we don't believe anything is ever good going to come. And if you're here today and you would struggle with this whole idea of just how the Bible is even accurate at all, I would just wanna put out to you what we have been walking through this series, it is coming up every single weekend, is the opportunity to respond to the great news of the Bible and that is the invitation to respond to what Jesus has done for you. Because the Bible has made it really clear, we have been looking at it weekly, that there are one of two eternal destinations and not a third or fourth or fifth option. And with great clarity, I can say, you want to be in this place with God forever because the other, this reality of hell, the Bible has taught us clearly about it. There are so many things. There is nothing that would be any kind of draw or interest for you to wanna be there. And the great news is that you don't have to have that track. You don't have to be on that path. We've talked weekly about the fact that you can admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior, that you can believe that Jesus, the Jesus offered to us, revealed to us in scripture is the only savior available and you can choose choose to say, Jesus, I'm gonna put my weight, my confidence, my trust, not in what I can do to somehow be good enough, but in what you did to turn away the wrath of God for me. You can make that decision today, and here's what I would push on you to consider. This is not a thing to keep saying. I'm gonna think about that. Todd, that's very interesting. You and I have no idea how many breaths we still have in our lungs. And I would encourage you, today is the day of salvation. Don't let another day go by considering these things as interesting, but instead life-giving. And I would encourage you, make that decision sooner than later, today, before you leave. Finally, I wanna remind you that whatever might seem confusing about what is to come, be assured of the most significant reality that awaits you, that you get to be with Jesus forever. Number three in your notes, heaven will be amazing because Jesus will be there. Heaven will be amazing because Jesus will be there. Let me unpack this for a minute. First John chapter three, verse one. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. 
The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but what we know, what, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. That last line is so powerful. We will be like him for we will see him as he is. My goal today has been, I've told you up front, is to cre create, not like I, I'm pulling something out of the air, but just simply to demonstrate from scripture the reason why heaven is where you wanna be. To develop within you that, that sense of interest, that leaning forward, I can't wait for that to happen. Because for some of us, heaven sounds boring and perpetually monotonous. And I wanna break that today because I think scripture speaks against that. But before I share with you what the Bible teaches, what we will do for eternity, I wanna make sure you understand that more important than what you'll do is who you'll be with. I used to fret about what heaven was like. I've told you my story. I've grown up in and around the church my whole life. And there were times at certain stages in my life where I would kind of wonder, okay, God, heaven definitely sounds better than hell, but I'm not really sure what we'll do or why that'll be important or, or, or what would really be engaging forever. Like it's hard to even put frames to that. And when people would say, but Todd, you'll get to be with Jesus forever. Well, I had an orthodox understanding of Jesus. I believed he lived a sinless life. I believed he died a sacrificial death. I believed he was gonna be here. He was raised on the third day. I believe that Jesus was my savior, but that's very different from saying, and I wanna spend eternity with that guy. You see, for some of us, we're still at this place, and I'm telling him, being very vulnerable, I was there. We're still at that place where we would say, hey, it's amazing that God would send his one and only son to rescue us, and I'm gonna be grateful, and I could be grateful for weeks and months and even years, but eternity? I'm just saying what many of you are thinking. Why is being with Jesus something that is so stellar that I wanna be about? And here's where I'll tell you where that changed for me. More than just understanding more facts about Jesus, but instead beginning to really understand how Jesus loved me and how much he wanted to have a real relationship with me, my attitude is completely flipped to what I used to ponder. Because now, even though I wanna share with you what the Bible clearly teaches, I believe about what our future is, I care very little about any of this. I just wanna be with Jesus. Where he is will be more than enough. There's no worry in my mind about what's going to happen and I'm saying today, if you're not there yet, if you would say, okay, I, I, I'm still confused and I, I'm not really sure that's the motivator for me, Todd, that it is for you. Well, let me do this. Let me encourage you to keep getting to know this Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that the Old Testament prophets foretold of. The one that the psalmist admired. The one that the gospel writers gave firsthand eyewitness accounts of. The one who healed the lame and who enabled the blind to see. The one who welcomed little children to approach him. The one who uh, invited the overwhelmed to find rest in him. The one who socialized with sinners. The one who could forgive sin. 
The one who stopped Saul on the way to persecute his people and turned his name to Paul. The one we read about in the the epistles who is the head of his church. The one we read about who promised his Holy Spirit to come and comfort and equip and empower us to live out his life. The one who will come again to take his people to himself. The one who will return to judge the peoples of the world. The one who has another book the other book that will be open that will contain the names of those who trusted him, the one who is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yea, God, yea, God. That's the Jesus that I want you to continue to get to know where you would say with unceasing confidence, as long as he's there, that's where I wanna be. Everything else is extra. Everything will matter less beyond that. That's the Jesus you get to spend eternity with. And though we might not know this side of heaven, all that we will do there, we can surely rally around the idea of who the Bible teaches him to be and who we can get to know. Now, this plays an important and essential part because if we don't get this correct, a lot of other things fall apart. I'm gonna remind you of the quote from John Piper that Eric Tana shared with us on week two of the series. It says this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this, if you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had and all the foods you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters. You read that, you go, that sounds like really great. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? You see, as amazing as all of those descriptors are, they pale in light of the reality that it's Jesus we get to be with. From scripture, let me share with you a few things that the Bible does teach we'll be doing in heaven. Look in your notes. First, we'll experience joyful rest. We'll experience joyful rest. Now this isn't the rest in peace kind of rest, like the, they've just kind of gone into this ethereal, you know, it's not that. The author of Hebrews writes, we'll move into a Sabbath rest. And guess what that rest will be from? It will be from the striving and the struggling against sin. It will be a rest from the challenges that we face on a sin-marred planet. That rest is something to look forward to. Secondly, we will engage in physical activities with physical bodies. Not the same flesh and blood you have now. Don't confuse that. But there will be an essence to us that is a body now imperishable, now immortal, now of heaven, there'll be many interests and activities that we'll get to enjoy with those bodies. You're not gonna be Casper. Not, and by the way, that's a very dated illustration because you had to grow up in the 70s even though I'm talking about, sorry, my bad. 
We'll enjoy social interactions with one another. In your notes, we'll enjoy social interactions with one another. This is what I see all over scripture in the New Testament, but especially in Revelations, is all the connections to the we's. All of the words of community, and like I even said today, that the nations, there's that kind of language, the nations will assemble. I wouldn't want you to think that heaven is some sort of kind of isolated place. Now for us introverts, that sounds a lot more like heaven. But for all of us, relationship, no matter introvert or extrovert, we all long for relationship. And we will do relationship together, not just with God, with the Son, with the Spirit. We will do that together as a family. And those social interactions will be powerful. Finally, we will exercise responsibility and service. We said that last week when we talked about the Bema Seat judgment, that that kind of reward will be given to those who invested their lives well in this life towards things that will last into eternity. I believe that's the reward of those wise investments are that of having roles of responsibility. When I was first reading this in my notes, this is from these four comments, by the way, are from Gomes's book that we've been mentioning every week in this series. When I first read it, I thought it said, we will exercise. And then I thought, well, some people will really in this room think that's hell, so that's not good. But no, it says, we'll exercise authority, ruling, or to be put in charge of and reigning, to name a few. Those are to wait us as we look forward to what is to come. The reality is this, there's a lot more in your Bible about what we can know eternity with Jesus will be like, and I'd encourage you, begin studying, begin finding out some of these things. By the way, one of the things I think is so powerful, for those of you who got to go to Thrive Southwest with us, you heard Luis Palau, who has stage four lung cancer, simply get up there and share. I've become very interested in where I'm headed, and I cannot wait to get to see this Jesus face to face. Man, would that be our charge, our ambition, not just when we have stage four lung cancer, but now, right now, at the center of all of it will be Jesus, the one that will continue to be preoccupied even with today as we finish this service. Here's our now what? Because you'll be with Jesus and live out your eternal design, eagerly anticipate heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people who definitely have been on a, a course, a path of getting to know more of what your word says about what we can know about eternity. There's plenty of things you haven't revealed, but for the things you have, they're for us. They're for us to know, they're for us to, to pull into our hearts and to, to cherish and to be excited about, to eagerly anticipate. And I pray throughout this week, God, would you continue to motivate us with the hope of heaven, the hope of this new earth, the hope of these new bodies, the hope of being in your presence forever.